So I tried a bit of an experiment this week. I, uh, I don't think I've ever done this before, at least to my memory, but my memory's terrible. I might have done it last week. But I put a little bit of a poll out on my Facebook wall this week. Single question survey, top 40 answers on the board. Actually, 40 people responded. So it was a lot of responses, which was really good. The question was this. What do you worry about? What do you worry about? The answers that I got back from people, like I say, it was quite a number of them, were actually very, very interesting. I uh, wrote a bunch of them down. But before I tell you, I want you to turn to the person beside you, and I want you to tell them what you think the number one thing people in our community worry about, according to my little poll, right? What's the number one thing on that list, the number one thing that people worry about? Go ahead. Then I'll tell you what it is. All right, you've registered Your answer, well, I wrote them down in my handy-dandy little notebook. They didn't have the small one, so I had to get this one. But the number one thing that people responded that they worry about on my Facebook wall from our community are kids, family or kids. If you said kids, I want you to turn to your neighbor. They owe you $10, okay? They might give it to you after the service, but either way. No, 10 people out of 40, basically 25% of people who responded to my question said that their primary form of worry is their kids or their family, something like that. Second surprised me. Seven people, so just, 20, just under 20% of the people who responded, um, said that the future or culture was what they worried about. Kind of this, I, I invented that category, but I take a look around and I see where the world is going and I'm concerned. I'm concerned about where all this heads. Seven people said that was their primary where five people said they worry about their health, their health, their parents' health, their, you know, in some way health. A, a university friend of mine said, I'm worried that my MS uh, will make it hard to mother my son. I was heartbreaking. Um, four people in our community said they worry about their financial situation, their job security. Three people said they worry about letting other people down, which was interesting. Three people, this was interesting too, said they worry about their relationship with God, that they're doing it right or, you know, whatever. Two people said they worry about death or death, the afterlife, that kind of thing. People said retirement. People said being alone. People said complacency. Now, two people, this was interesting, two people said that they worry about me, which I found touching. Um, One of them was my wife, and the other uh, I assume is the lady that sits in the car outside my house most hours of the day. I have a, you know, so I'm glad that she's concerned, I guess. Um, people wrote some interesting stuff. They said, um, I worry about waking up on time, which was not a category that I had. Uh, I worry about others knowing what I worry about, which uh, managing that on my Facebook wall might be a mistake. Uh, what I worry, what I don't worry about, somebody wrote, might be a shorter list. So I wonder how many of us find ourselves in that place. Um, one person wrote, what do you worry about? And I was like, that's rude. I was offended. It's like, who asks that question on Facebook? So I completely ignored them. Uh, <laughs> but it was interesting, right? They, we, we are people who battle with worry. And the reason I threw that out there, somebody asked, why are you asking this question? And whenever I ask a question on my Facebook wall, you should know it's coming out in the sermon on Sunday. The reason I asked the question was because we're in this series called The Life Revolution. 
which is a series that's kind of a spin-off of our series from March called The Prayer Revolution. And it's a commentary, I think, by Jesus on the lifestyle of people who pray the Lord's Prayer, which we studied uh, back in March. We talked about this last week, how your life has to be consistent with your prayer life. You have to have integrity between how you live and how you pray. You can't ask God to let you win the lottery and then not buy a ticket. That just doesn't, that doesn't work. You can't ask God to heal your lung cancer and then smoke 50 packs a day. It doesn't work that way. You can't ask God to give you a job and then not put out resumes. You can't ask God to let you get pregnant and then not, um, well, you see where I'm going with this. You have, your life has to be consistent with the way that you pray. And so last week we talked about the prayer, the, the central petition of the Lord's Prayer that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we saw how Jesus says, you can't be the kind of person who says, thy kingdom come and then get out of the bed so that my kingdom can come. That doesn't work. That you pray for God's kingdom, but you live for your kingdom. You live for selfishness and greed. You live for possessions and wealth and comfort. You live for you know, you don't really care, really, genuinely, deeply care about the kingdom of God if what you really care about is a bigger paycheck or a nicer house or a newer car or slicker devices or a trendier wardrobe or fancier vacations or whatever it is. People who are living a consistent kingdom life with integrity use money to serve God. They don't use God to serve their money. You gotta be consistent. And so this morning, we wanna look at the next petition of the Lord's Prayer uh, the one that says, give us today our daily bread. We talked about this a couple months ago, that if you're praying for bread, you're praying for the basic core necessities of life, the, the things that everybody needs to survive and thrive as a fully human being. You know, it's things like food and clothing and shelter and employment and transportation and safety and health and a loving, supportive family and a, a, a stable, nurturing community of friends and so on. Like the basic human needs to thrive and survive, to be who God's created you to be and to do what God has called you to do. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, verse 25, here's the lifestyle side for people who pray, give us this day our daily bread. It says in Matthew 6, 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, about what you'll eat or your body, about what you will wear. Jesus says, you cannot be the kind of person who says, God, I'm dependent on you to provide me bread and then get up off of your knees and worry about whether or not you're gonna get bread. A life of worry is fundamentally inconsistent with a life of dependence on God to provide you with everything that you need. If, you're the, if you are praying that God would give you everything you need, you cannot then get up off your knees and be somebody who worries. They are inconsistent and incompatible lifestyles. Lifestyle of kingdom dependence and worry. Now let me just be really clear about what I'm talking about, about worry. Because there's some stuff that we're not talking about. Right? We're not talking about anxiety at the clinical level, like anxiety disorders and um, you know, panic attacks and paranoia and that kind of thing. That's not what Jesus is addressing. You don't address that thing with a command that says stop it. And if you know somebody who suffers from anxiety, stop looking at them and saying, just relax. Okay, that's not helpful. 
In fact, if you are the kind of person who worries more than most people and you worry about stuff that most people don't worry about and worry consumes most of your time and anxiety um, interferes with your ability to function as a human being, it may be the, a medical condition where the result of a chemical imbalance in your brain and you need to talk to your doctor about that for the possibility of medical intervention. That's a whole separate thing and not what Jesus is talking about. God be with those who struggle with mental illness of the anxiety kind. Um, we're also not just talking about fear. There's a difference between worry and being afraid of something that's really happening in your life. You just got fired and now you're afraid of what the future looks like. That's different than worry. That's not what we're talking about. Worry is an emotional anticipation of the potential to lose something that you care about. That's what worry is. Worry is trying to emotionally anticipate threats that, that uh, threaten to take something away from you that you care about. You're trying to um, be vigilant to the things that could threaten the stuff that you care about. That's what worry fundamentally is. So if you care about your lifestyle and your comfort, you might worry about losing your job or a downturn in the economy or your business going bankrupt. If you care about your health, if you're an active person or whatever, um, you, may, you might care about your health. Like if you, if you care about your life, you might be worried about your health. If you care about your kids, which I assume everyone who has kids does, you worry about their choices and you worry about their friends and you worry about the environments they put themselves in. You worry about their safety. You don't want anything bad to happen to them, so you worry. Um, if you care about relationships, you worry about being alone. Um, or you worry about whether your friends are happy with you or you worry about whether your partner's cheating on you. If you care about your reputation, you worry about your performance, how you're doing it, pleasing people, or you worry about um, how you're being perceived by people. It, what worry is, is an attempt to try and control the future to avoid bad stuff happening by anticipating it ahead of time so that you can respond to it accordingly. That's what that's what worry is. And uh, most of the time, the threats are not real. The threats are imagined. They are, I mean, possible. Cancer is a real thing and it's possible to get it. But they are not extremely likely outcomes for your future. But what happens, and this is where worry comes from as a lifestyle. What happens is we begin to worry about something that might possibly threaten my, the future happiness of the stuff that I care about. And so I kind of pull the anxiety alarm, but it's a false alarm because the threat isn't really real. But every time I pull the anxiety pull station and it's a false alarm, what I do is I train myself to reach for the anxiety pull station quicker the next time. I train myself to worry as a mental habit until eventually I'm doing it so often that it becomes normal. We become, it becomes the way we think that we're supposed to live and feel. And we become actually addicted to it so that when we're not worried, we're concerned that something, we go into withdrawal. We're concerned that something's wrong because we're not worried, right? Somebody said to me in my office a couple of weeks ago, well, I'm a little worried that I'm not more worried. See, I'm not worried that anything bad is going to happen, so I have to find something to generate the worry so that I can feel normal again. 
And Jesus says, and this is Jesus' point, worry of that kind, being afraid of an imagined threat that might possibly potentially threaten my happiness or something that I care about. That kind of worry is as normal to a kingdom life as greed. It is fundamentally inconsistent and incompatible with a life of faith. And he spends most of the time in the text that we're looking at today explaining why that's true, why worry is incompatible with a life of faith. So here's what he says, Matthew 5, 25. First reason, he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? What does that mean? Is not life more than food? I think what Jesus is saying is, if you think about food and clothing on the one hand and you think about the human body and the phenomenon of life on the other, which one of those two things is more complicated, more complex, more difficult, greater, harder, right? Because I want you to take a step back and think about the fact that of what God has already done for you. God has created you as a human being and has given you a body which is the most remarkable thing on the entire planet, the human body and how it works. And then he filled your body with life, something science has so far been unable to replicate in the laboratory. Um, God has done this incredible, amazing thing of creating the complex, amazing, wonderful beauty of your body and then filling it with the miracle of life, right? That's why we call it the miracle of birth because it is an inexplicably unbelievable thing when a new life enters into the world. And you may not like your body, and frankly, you may not like your life, but you have to concede that it is a marvelous, miraculous thing that God has done in creating your body and in giving you life. Now, now Jesus says, given what God, what God has already done in creating your body and filling it with life, how hard do you think it is going to be for God to scrounge up a little bit of food to put in your body and a little bit of clothing, like shorts and a shirt, to put over your body? Like, which one of those things seems really difficult and which one seems pretty simplistic by comparison, right? Jesus says, listen, God has already demonstrated that he is able, that he is powerful enough to do extraordinarily abundantly more than you could ever hoped or imagined, to do marvelous jaw-dropping things. How hard do you think it's gonna be for him to ruffle up, rustle up a little bit of food to give you the stuff that you need? It's child's play to God child's play. Our worry, Jesus is saying, is absolutely needless. God has got it under control. Not only is it needless, Jesus says, secondly, it's, it's completely senseless. In verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they we talked last week about how people in the ancient world would store up wealth for themselves. And one of the ways they would do it is by storing up grain in barns. So that the next time a famine came, they could rest assured that they had already supplied for their own need in turbulent circumstances and so on. And then they could sell off the excess at a massive profit and get extraordinarily rich. Jesus says, the birds don't do that. Birds build nests. They don't build barns. Right? You watch, he says, go out and watch the birds. And they hunt and peck and scratch and they dig around looking for food. But when they find food, you know what they do with it? They eat it or they give it to their young. 
They don't stash it away somewhere afraid that in some future time there's going to be a nature is going to have an economic downturn and there aren't going to be the earthworms available that there are today. And so we better have some. In, they don't do that. They don't freak out and worry about whether or not there's going to be food. And guess what? Birds don't starve to death. Birds somehow manage to always have enough to eat from the hand of God without freaking out and storing up you know, massive savings accounts and investment portfolios and whatever. They do it without freaking out about it because they know that God cares for them. Now they don't, Jesus is not saying don't work. You don't have to work. Jesus isn't opposed to work. He's opposed to worry. The Bible is a strong proponent of work. In fact, the Bible says that if there are people in the community who are capable of finding work and, and holding down a job, and there are a lot of reasons you know, why somebody might not be, they might not be emotionally ready or, or in recovery or physically able or whatever, there's you know, lots of reasons why they might not. But if somebody is able to go out and find work and hold down a job, but they're choosing not to work, that person should not be supported by the community. The Bible, the Bible says the one who doesn't work doesn't eat. Like the, Jesus, the Bible, big on work, low on worry. You can have all that you need without freaking out with worry about it. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, he says, if God does that for birds, how much more is God going to do that for you? Something he actually like really cares about? I mean, God cares about birds, but I, I, used to, I had a principal at Bible school in Austria. His name was Hans Peter. And I remember one time in class, he was talking about the English word love and how we apply love so liberally to everything. And he said in his soft-spoken Austrian-German accent, he says, you know, he says, I love my wife and I love my rabbits. But there is a difference. He says, when it rains, my wife is inside and my rabbits are outside. Right? This is exactly Jesus' point without the German accent. He, sa he says, listen, God loves the birds. And God loves you infinitely more. And so if God takes care of the birds... He's going to take care of you infinitely. When it rains, you're going to be inside. The birds are outside. He's going to take care of you infinitely more. It's senseless to think that God doesn't love you enough to take care of you. He loves you and he's going to take care of you. It's needless and it's senseless. Thirdly, Jesus says, it's absolutely useless. Verse 27, he says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Worry accomplishes nothing most of the time. And somebody just said, that's not true. Everything I worry about never happens. <laughs> right? Worry accomplishes nothing. It, it contributes nothing. In the odd circumstance, when you're faced with a very real threat, worry can provide you with the kind of focus and determination you need to come up with a solution. Right? So sometimes, maybe, when the threat is actually real, but most of the time the threats aren't actually real. They're imagined. We're afraid of something that's probably not going to happen, right? Worry contributes nothing. So what it contributes, if you want this, what it contributes is for you to, the opportunity to distinguish between what's within your control and the stuff you can actually do something about. So go do something about it. Don't worry about it. And the stuff that's outside of your control that you can't do anything about. And if you can't do anything about it, don't worry about it, right? But worry accomplishes nothing. In fact, Ironically, to Jesus' point, worry is the thing that takes hours from your life rather than adding hours to your life. 
massive study in the UK, 76,000 Brits uh, who demonstrate subclinical levels of anxiety, who live with low-level worry in their life all the time. 20% more likely to die than people who don't worry, which at first I thought was weird because we're all like guaranteed to die and I didn't know how to be 20% more guaranteed to die. But then I realized at any given moment, it's 20% more likely that their life is in danger because worry is something that destroys our whole body. It creates ulcers and it destroys our appetite and it ruins our heart and it um, weakens our immune system and it plays havoc with our digestive system and it gives us headaches and dizziness and a lack of focus. And worse yet, when people are really, really tied up in worry, they adopt all these unhealthy coping mechanisms and we start eating in an unhealthy way and we start smoking, we start drinking, we start using drugs and we start all these coping mechanisms that only hurt us and actually increase the likelihood of our early demise. No, worry doesn't add an hour to your life. It is probably taking them by the minute. Fundamentally useless. It contributes no value to the situation. Because what happens is we worry because we think that it means that we care and we're trying to anticipate future dangers. And then something, you know, when something bad happens, you realize two things. Number one, it probably wasn't the thing that you were anticipating. And number two, you are no better emotionally prepared to deal with it than had you not been worrying. It's still devastating. It does absolutely nothing. It's needless. It's senseless. It's useless. Number four, it's faithless. Jesus has been talking about food. Now he's going to talk about clothes. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus says, go for a drive in the country and go admire the wildflowers. See how beautiful they are. Well, you know what? One of the most... To me, one of the most beautiful flowers, I don't know what it's called, but it's that orange, it's like an orange starburst kind of thing. And it grows in the ditch along the road out in the country. They're messy things, but they're really pretty. And Jesus says, go, go and look, it's a weed. Jesus says, go drive in the country and look at the wildflower weeds that are growing all over the place and try and imagine somebody dressed more beautifully than one of those. There's not a human being on a red carpet anywhere on the planet, not Jay-Z or Beyonce, not David Beckham or Kate Middleton. There's not a person on the planet who's dressed more beautifully than a flower. And God does that despite the fact that he knows that the only purpose these flowers are going to serve in life is that some Palestinian woman's going to come along, pull them out, dry them in her front yard, and then use them as kindling in her bread oven. Today in the field, tomorrow in the fire. They serve no purpose. They're here today, gone tomorrow. And yet they don't worry about what they look like. They don't worry about whether or not they'll have clothes, you know, whatever. They don't toil, they don't spin, they don't freak out. God clothes them even though they're here today and gone tomorrow. How little faith does it take to question whether or not your heavenly father who loves you with the infinite, eternal, enduring love of a perfect parent how little faith would it take to believe that your heavenly father who believes in your eternal, enduring, infinite worth as his child 
and who plans to spend an enduring, infinite, eternal uh, heaven in relationship with you. How little faith does it take to believe that God's not going to care about you more than he cares about some weed growing in a ditch? But that's what worry is. It's a lack of faith. It's a statement internally and emotionally that says, I don't believe that God has got this, whether he, doesn't, whether he can't handle it or he doesn't care. I don't believe that God is going to take care of me, and so I have to try and take care of myself. Jesus says, just trust that God loves you more than a weed. He loves you like a parent. He's going to take care of you. Needless, senseless, useless, faithless, and fifthly, godless. Verse 31, so don't worry saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. A pagan in the Bible is just simply someone who doesn't believe in the God of Israel. They worship other gods. They worship false gods. They worship idols. And the idols of the ancient world were often petty and capricious and unpredictable and just mean. Who on a whim could decide to curse you instead of bless you for no reason whatsoever. It was a very stressful way to live, to be a pagan. Because you ran around all the time, whenever you had a need, you ran around stressing out about how to pray the right prayer at the right time, in the right way, with the right words, to the right God, using the right God's names, with the right sacrifice, in order to convince the God, to please the God and convince him to give you what you need. And you lived with absolutely no assurance whatsoever that the God, after you were done praying and sacrificing whatever, the God could simply decide that you had done it wrong and he was going to punish you. He could strike you dead for all you knew. It was a very stressful way to live because the gods didn't care and they were mean and petty and capricious and they could just, they just did whatever they wanted. And Jesus says, when you live a life of worry, what you are saying by your life is that you believe that that's what kind of God God is. He's the same as the God of the pagans. He's mean and capricious and unpredictable. And if you don't do everything in exactly the right way, God's probably going to curse you instead of bless you. That he's kind of out to get you. Or at the very least, you're never sure whether you've pleased him enough to get the stuff that you really need. And so we end up living these lives. The, the pagan religion was very superstitious. And I see people around me all the time living these superstitious lives where we knock on wood instead of knocking on God's door in prayer. Where we say, good luck, and I hope things work out rather than putting our trust in the hope of Christ, the victory that he won on the cross. Right? Or we don't want to jinx it by changing our routine. We don't want to speak negative reality into the world just in case we draw a negative reality to ourselves. Just like faith is kind of like the secret. We believe in Murphy's law more than we believe in God's law that if anything bad is going to happen, it will. That the universe is rigged to bring us the thing that we fear the most. Like we have all these superstitions that we live with as though we, don't really, be, as though we really do believe that God is mean and capricious. And might curse us just because we haven't done everything exactly the way he wants us. And Jesus says, you know what you're saying by your life when you're worried? You're saying that God makes absolutely no difference. God makes no difference in your life whatsoever. 
That God is exactly that kind of God. And by the way, that is not the God described in the scriptures. Jesus says, your heavenly father knows that what you need. It is needless, senseless, useless, faithless, and godless to worry. And so what does Jesus say instead? He said, so here's what we do. Verse 33, we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What do you do instead of worry? You seek the kingdom. See, here's the thing. Worry, we train our minds to worry. Worry is a mental habit that we have trained ourselves to indulge in. Which is good news because what that means is that we can train ourselves not to worry. By training our minds to focus and obsess and fixate on something other than the imaginary perceived threats that probably aren't going to happen. And being afraid of those. Rather than being afraid of something that's probably not going to happen, why not instead focus all of your attention and energy and obsessive uh, energy on the kingdom of God, on what God is doing in the world, on what God's doing in your life, what God's doing through you to bring love and joy and peace and hope to other people, to bring healing into the world and peace. The word seek is actually the same word that Jesus used about the pagans who run around chasing after food and clothing. Or whatever. Jesus says, if you're going to run around all frenetic and frantic, don't run around over some imaginary threat. Be frenetic and frantic over the kingdom. Like pour your energy into that. The word is actually used in ancient literature of a hunter who's sitting in a blind and who's focused all of his attention on the bird that he wants to shoot. Everything else fades away. Jesus says, live with the kind of mental focus that simply obsesses about the kingdom, about what God is doing in the world, about what God's doing in your life. Obsess over righteousness. Righteousness is just Jesus' code word for everything that he's taught in the entire Sermon on the Mount. In the introduction, in the Beatitudes, it centers on righteousness. People who hunger and thirst for righteousness so much that they're willing to suffer and die for it. To be rightly related to God and rightly related to themselves and rightly related to each other and rightly related to the world. Our whole heart condition series was about a righteousness that comes from your heart where you choose reconciliation instead of anger and respect instead of lust and faithfulness instead of divorce and on and on and on. Our whole series in January was about living righteously in relation to God. Your deeds of righteousness, which is a life obsessed with prayer and fasting and generously giving alms to the poor. Righteousness is Jesus' code word for what it looks like to live rightly with God, yourself, each other, and the world. For what it looks like to live a kingdom life. Jesus says if you want to obsess about something, obsess about allowing God to make you into the person I created you to be so that you can do the things that I've created you to do. Obsess about that. He says in verse 31, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He says, obsess about the kingdom and obsess about today. Rather than freaking out about the imaginary dangers that lurk around the corner in some terrible tomorrow, don't live in tomorrow. Live in today. Live in the moment. Live in the now. See, God created life in bite-sized chunks called days. The problem is if you try and swallow more than one at a time, you're going to choke. Just focus on today. Don't deal with the imaginary and fictional troubles that might come down the road tomorrow. Deal emotionally and 
uh, Christianly with the real situations that you're faced in the moment today. Ask yourself right now in this moment, how can the kingdom come and his will be done through me as it is in heaven? How can I become more the person God created me to be and do what God created me to do? Live that way in the moment, every moment of every day, but just do it today. See, God can't help you with tomorrow until tomorrow comes. And when tomorrow's come, it's today. So you might as well focus on today because that's all we got. The past is gone. The future isn't here and may never come the way some of us imagine it. So let's just deal with life the way it is right now. And focus ourselves and obsess over what it would look like for the kingdom to come in our life and through our life into the world. And having obsessed and focused over the kingdom and his righteousness, living in the moment today, Jesus says, trust that everything else will be added to you as well. At that point, is trust that the God who created your body and filled it with life, that the God who created and sustains and cares for all of creation, but you the most, that the God who loves you more than birds and weeds, The God who is the only one who can add hours to your life. The God who knows your needs in advance, who knows what you need and who is for you and not against you and is working for your best. That that God will take care of you. This is Jesus' point. If you're going to be the kind of person who prays, give us today our daily bread then you live your life caring about God and you let God live his life caring about you. When you live like that, every moment obsessed with you caring about God's stuff and you letting God care about your stuff, the worry evaporates and the world begins to see the difference that Jesus makes. Let's pray. Father, Jesus once met a man on the road who needed his son to be healed. And Jesus asked him, do you believe? And the man said, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. God, that's our prayer for all the warriors in the room. We do believe God. We know you love us. We know you're powerful. We know you care for us. We know that the most important thing in the world is going to be your kingdom. We know that you want what's best for us. We know that even if we don't get what we want, we will get what we need. We will get what we need from you to be the person you've created us to be and to do what you've called us to do. We know that. We believe that. Just help us with our unbelief. Help us to let go of the worry. Help us to let go of our own feeling that we need to keep our lives in our own control, to take care of ourselves because we're not ready to let you take care of us. Instead, God, teach us to focus our lives on what you are doing in us and through us and to let you take care of the rest. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.